Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. You can call in with your prayer requests. We have pastors standing by every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time taking your calls, responding to your texts, answering your questions about the Bible, and lifting up your prayer requests to the Lord. And so it's a great opportunity for you. Let's say you have been reading the Bible and there was something you came across and you are like, I don't know what this is about. It doesn't make sense. I'm struggling to understand what it means. Or maybe you're wondering, on the other side, you've got things going on in your life or you look at the world outside uh, your front door and you say, how does the Bible speak to this situation? You know, what does the Bible have to say about what I'm encountering or experiencing in my life? We would love to answer those questions for you today. So give us a call. And we also want to pray for your prayer requests. So if you're like, you know, I don't really have a question per se, but what I do have is a prayer need. Hey, we are here for that as well. And we have a bunch of people tuning in all over the United States and even internationally who are listening to the show. And as they're listening and we pray for your prayer requests, they're going to be able to join with us and lift those needs up to the Lord. So the number to call 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That text line again, 720-336-0897. And my suggestion would be, if you haven't done so yet, save those numbers in your phone. Just make them a contact in your phone so that uh, maybe sometime when you're driving or when you're out and about, or maybe you're listening to the show and you're like, oh, I got to wait for him to say the numbers again. You'll already have them saved in your phone and you can just pull them up and you can give us a call or you can text us really quickly if you save those numbers in your phone. So here they are one more time, 303-690-3000 for the call in line and 720-336-0897 for the text line. We want to welcome those who are listening in Colorado and into southern Wyoming on Grace FM. Welcome to the program. So glad to have you tuning in today. Uh, Today is April 29th. It is a Friday, and you're hearing the show live today if you're listening on Grace FM or gracefm.com. We also have a wonderful Grace FM app. If you haven't done so yet, just add that to your devices, whether it's your tablet or your phone, or if you have a smart speaker, you can actually uh, do that as well. You can tell your smart speaker to tune in to Grace FM. And so I would love for you to get those apps if you haven't done so yet. It's a great way for you, maybe as you're traveling this summer or for work or wherever it is that you are, you get those apps on your phone and you'll be able to listen to 
not only this show, but the other great Bible teaching on Grace FM anywhere you are in the world at any time. So make sure, again, just Grace FM is one word, no spaces, and that will come up for your Apple uh, devices, Android devices as well, and you can get that for free. It's a great way to stay connected. There's also some other goodies in there like uh, Bible reading plans, prayer requests, options, etc. And so we also want to greet those listeners on the Radio by Grace network of stations all over the United States, uh, based out of Amarillo, Texas, but primarily in the southern states. But again, with representation all over the U.S. And you on the Radio by Grace network are also hearing the show live today. Again, it is April 29th, uh, Friday here, and I'm broadcasting from Colorado. Uh, I also want to greet those who are listening in uh, on the East Coast in on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee, and those listening on Higher Rock Radio in the Treasure Valley in Idaho. Welcome to the program. Glad to have you with us. Again, this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. So the number to call is 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand, or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Just a few words about myself. My name is Nick Cady. I am the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a Calvary Chapel affiliated church in Longmont, Colorado. That's where I'm broadcasting from today. And uh, if you are within driving distance of Longmont, then you can consider this your personal invitation to come and worship with us. This Sunday or any Sunday after this, um, God's doing great things here at Whitefields, and we would love for you to be part of it. We're a church that values worship. We're a church that values the teaching of the scriptures verse by verse and chapter by chapter um, with a center, a focus on Jesus at the center and the gospel as the center of all the scriptures. And so we'd love to have you come worship with us. We've got a great children's ministry program so your whole family can be involved at their level. We have three services every Sunday, 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m., so three services. The latter two services have a full children's ministry. The 8 a.m. service is a family service, so you can plan your visit accordingly. And our 9.30 and 11 o'clock service are also broadcast online. So if you are not within driving distance of Longmont, we would love for you to join us online if you're looking for a place to worship online this Sunday. And uh, you can also just go to our website, find out more information about where we're located, uh, our address, directions. You can listen to some past messages, and you can uh, just find out what's new with us and what God's doing in our community. You can check that all out at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Dot com. This Sunday, we, uh, just, we just started a series last Sunday on the seven signs that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John. So you might know that the Gospel of John, uh, essentially John says, here's who Jesus is. He is God come to you to save you from your sins and save you from the curse of sin and death. And the way to receive that gift of his grace is by believing in him. Now you might ask, well, why should I believe in him just because you say so? And John says, no, I'm going to give you evidence and reasons for believing in Jesus. And that's what he does. He gives seven signs uh, throughout the, particularly the first part of the Gospel of John, leading up to the time when Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And he gives us seven signs. And each of these signs, so John's Gospel doesn't refer to Jesus' miracles as miracles. It calls them signs. And the nature of a sign is that a sign points to something beyond itself, and a sign exists to lead you to a particular destination. And John says the destination he's trying to lead you to 
is faith in Jesus so you can have life in his name. And he's building a case through showing you the things that Jesus did to show you that Jesus is indeed who he claimed to be and he is the savior that you need. And so this Sunday, we'll be looking at the second of Jesus' miracles. It's one that often gets overlooked, in my opinion. It's at the end of John chapter four. A lot of times when people think about John four, they think, oh, that's the story of the woman at the well in Samaria. Well, what they might often forget is that at the very end of the chapter, Jesus goes back to Galilee, to Cana, the same place where he turned the water into wine, and a man comes to him and Jesus heals his son. And so um, how does that miracle point to who Jesus is and what he came to do? Well, what's really important about it is the way Jesus heals his son. I don't want to give away too much in case you're planning on coming this Sunday or you want to tune in. So again, whitefieldschurch.com. We're located in on the east side of Longmont near I-25, which means that if you're along the I-25 corridor or anywhere near there, we're very conveniently located, both for those in Longmont and those in the surrounding communities. So we'd love to have you come and worship with us. Again, our website, whitefieldschurch.com. And I look forward to seeing you this Sunday or having you connect with us online. Let's go to our first caller, Sydney in Montgomery, Alabama. Hi, Sydney. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. How you doing? Good. I'm doing great. What can we do for you? I just pray for me, my family, my kids, and everybody, because I was praying for about four years, and finally, uh, I think my wife had a cyst or something on her foot, and it, finally one day she says, gone. Okay. So I need more prayer. Okay. We, that we, all of us, will accept Jesus as his personal Savior. <laughs> that's, all right, that's let's I'm... pray for that. I'll pray for that right now. Heavenly Father, I lift up Sydney to you. And Lord, I pray for him, his children, his grandchildren. Lord, I pray that they would put their trust in you as their Savior. Lord, just as John says that by believing in him, you can receive the right to be called a child of God. Lord, what a promise, what a, what a great thing, that instead of death and darkness, we can have light and life because you came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. You are our Savior. And Lord, we pray for his children, for his grandchildren, for other people he loves and is connected to, Lord, that they would put their faith in you and trust you as their Savior, both personally and uh, with sincerity. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Absolutely. God bless you, Sydney, and thanks for calling in. What a great prayer request. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You know, just thinking on Sydney's prayer request there, there's a really wonderful passage in uh the book of Romans, so Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10, I believe it's verse 2, where Paul says that he earnestly prays for the salvation of the Jewish people. And in that, we see a really important principle and, um, yeah, just an example for us to follow, and that is praying for people to be saved. It's so interesting that it comes there in chapter 10, because in Romans chapter 9, Paul is talking about the sovereignty of God, the sovereign choice of God in choosing some people to be saved. And then he goes on in chapter 10 and says, and I also pray for some people to be saved, which tells us that even God's sovereignty, it isn't to be taken as a fatalistic thing, right? That God's going to save who he wants and there's nothing you can do about it. No, no, no. We have an example and encouragement in the scriptures to pray for people to be saved. And so Great prayer request from Sydney there. You're listening to Calvary Live. The number to call with your Bible questions, your prayer requests is 
6903000 that's 3036903000 or you can text us at 7203360897 let's go to our next caller Harland in Amarillo Texas hi Harland welcome to the program Harland Harland has uh, not been able to hang on the line, but I do have his uh, question here, and I think it's a good one. I'm going to answer it, uh, even though he's not here to discuss with us. Here's his question. What does it talk, or where does it talk about tithing in the New Testament, if at all? Where does it talk about tithing in the New Testament? Okay, so the principle from of tithing, as you rightly mentioned, Harland, is mentioned in the Old Testament, right? I guess it's just implied in your, your text there. But yeah, it's an Old Testament principle. The people of Israel were to give 10% of their income to the upkeep of the temple and uh, to the ministry of the priests. And so that money in the prophetic books, you know, the people often neglected to do that. And, you know, we have some calls to about that and challenges from God about that to the people in the prophetic books where God says, you have been stealing from me. And the people say, when did we ever steal from you, God? How is that possible? And God says, you've been stealing from me by not paying the tithe. And he calls it bringing uh, the money into the storehouse, right? And that money was used, again, for the upkeep of the temple and for the the payment of the priestly class and all of their needs. So um, we go into the New Testament. Oh, one, one last thing. God even says, it's one of the only times when God tells us, if not the only time that God tells us to challenge him on something, test him on something. He says, I want you to test me and see if you give, will I not open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on you if you give the tithe as you've been instructed to do. So we see an Old Testament principle. We see it uh, actually even before the law of Moses. It's um, laid out in the example where we have Abraham meeting a mysterious priest who's also a king named Melchizedek. And many people believe that Melchizedek is an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament before he was born as a baby in Bethlehem because, of course, Jesus existed, John 1 tells us, before before the nativity in Bethlehem, right? Before Jesus became was born as a baby. He existed from eternity past as God. And it says there, when Abraham met with him, he gave him bread and wine, and he paid him a tithe of everything he had. He paid him a 10% of all that he had. So where is that in the New Testament? Well, so here's what's interesting. We don't actually have that rule given to us in the same way in the New Testament. It's not uh, a command. It's not uh, something that is given to us as a directive in the New Testament. Now, you could approach it this way. You could approach it by saying, yes, but it was also assumed, right, that the people would continue that Old Testament practice because it's very important to understand the people of God never considered, right, like, when they became Christians, especially the Jewish people, when the Jewish people began to believe in Jesus, they did not view themselves as people who were changing their religion. Like, I used to be one religion, now I'm a new religion. Not not by any means. They viewed Christianity as the fulfillment of everything that Judaism had ever taught and ever hoped in. It was the fulfillment of their scriptures and the fulfillment of the law of Moses. And so we have a good example here where with the tithe, 
there's a, okay, a continuation. Should we continue it since that was the practice God laid out? And some people might say, well, we're not required to. Well, that's absolutely right. We are probably not required to, meaning that our justification before the Lord 100% absolutely does not depend on whether or not we give the tithe. And yet, is it a good thing to do? Is it a good principle? I would say uh, absolutely. And I'll give you some places where it's talked about uh, particularly in Second Corinthians chapters eight and nine, but also in First Corinthians chapter nine. So uh, let me let me go to First Corinthians chapter nine first. Uh, Paul the apostle there is talking about the right of those who serve in the church to receive monetary compensation, and so that would be like people who serve as pastors, as other leaders, but particularly pastors, right? Those who serve vocationally in the church. Um, you know, and of course there are other roles other than pastor administration, staff, and, and all the people who serve in the church, very similar to how the priests served in the temple. Um, Paul makes a great case there from the law of Moses that you should pay your workers in the church. Well, let me just ask you, how are the workers in the church supposed to get paid? Where's, where does that money come from? So there's an assumption there that people are giving money to the church. And why would they do that? Well, there's a continuation of the expectation, the principle of tithing from the Old Testament as well. But what we do have very specifically are commands to give and to give generously. So whereas the principle may not be laid out uh, directly and explicitly in the New Testament saying 10% is the right amount, Paul actually says, you know what, instead of just saying, okay, how much do I need to give? And I won't give more and I won't give less. No, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, I give you a new principle to live by, give generously. And he says, God loves not just a generous giver, God loves a happy giver, a joyful giver, uh, someone who wants to give. So this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And one of my favorite um, passages in this is that uh, Paul says this, let me just read it to you. Chapter eight, verse seven of second Corinthians, just as you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in love, see that you also excel in the grace of giving as well. So that's really interesting, right? That tells us that, that Christianity isn't just about having faith, saying the right things, knowing the right things, and even having love for other people. But there's also this aspect where we're called to give. And that giving, it says, is an act of grace. And why is that? It, what it means is that giving is actually good for us. And then he says, and what is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Okay, I'll just stop there. That's beautiful. That's the gospel. It tells us the gospel motivation for giving. But let me just give you some real practical tips that I give to people in my church who ask me about giving. I, I always say this. You should give in such a way that it changes your lifestyle. If, you're not, if it doesn't change your lifestyle, then you're missing the point, right? So rather than just giving from your excess, I would say that the point of a sacrifice is that it should hurt a little bit. You should feel it. It should change the way you live. So here's, here's what I mean. Some people would say, well, I can't afford to give because then I wouldn't be able to do all the things that I, I do, right? Like I've got all these things. I go out to eat this many times a month. I, I, my kids are in sports, you know, whatever it is. 
And, you know, oh, I've got these paid subscriptions for, you know, all these streaming services, for example, and, and all these things. And they say, well, I can't give because then I'd have to give something up. And my point is, you should absolutely have to give something up in order to give. That's what makes it a sacrifice. And that's what makes it, um, you know, it, it also shapes your life, right? In other words, if at the beginning of the month, I give 10% of my income to the work of God through the local church, or I might give more, right? Um, but let's say I give that chunk. Well, that means that come the end of the month, I'm not, I'm going to have 10% less of my money than I would have had otherwise, which means I can do less things. And that's actually the point, because here's what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what that means is that you can actually direct your heart by saying, I'm going to put my treasure into the things that I believe my heart should be invested in. And so I'm going to put my treasure into this. And what happens is that your heart will follow your treasure. And so you get to be the one directing it, right? And say, I'm going to put money into this church or into this mission trip or into this radio ministry or whatever it might be. And then all of a sudden your heart becomes invested because now you've got some skin in the game. You've got some money in the pot, if you will. You want to know, uh, how is that ministry going? You're going to be praying for it. Man, it's a fabulous way to direct your heart. Money, rather than getting its claws into you, you can use it to direct your heart in the right ways. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So do you have to give 10%? I don't think you have to, but I would say you should give according to these principles. 10% is a good a rule to follow or, or say a, a model to follow. If you don't know how much to give, start with 10%. Give as much as it actually costs you something. That was, that's my principle. It should hurt a little bit and it should change the way you live. So those are my principles for you. Uh, thanks for a great question. Turns out that uh, the questioner, Harlan there, he's a truck driver. So Harlan, I hope you were able to listen to us even though you, your phone dropped. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call, 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Allie in Kentucky. Hi, Allie. Welcome to the program. Hi. How are you? Thank you. So I'm good. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> okay, so my question is, um, regarding fertility, and it's it's in the Old Testament and New Testament. And um, Old Testament, it seems like women are barren, and then God kind of at the right time opens up their womb. Well, in the New Testament, um, you know, Jesus died for our sins, but also for our healing. So, is that considered a sickness that that can be healed? So, therefore, if I'm trying to conceive, is this something that I just need to simply wait on God's timing, or is it something that I need to be praying for sickness to leave if I've had difficulty getting pregnant? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I'm sure that, you know, I, I just commend you on your courage to call in and ask that. I've, I've known a lot of people who struggled with uh, infertility and I know how hard it can be. And so, um, yeah, let's pray for you here at the end of this too, but, and also other women out there who, who are listening, who are struggling with it. One of the examples I would give you is, um, you know, first Samuel, we see infertility there with um, Hannah. We see it with uh, later on uh, chapter six. We see some some comments about her infertility. Here's what I would say about it. I would say that it be it seems to be clear that infertility is a result of the curse of sin and death. Now it doesn't mean that it's a a 
God's like punishment on any particular person. But what it does mean is that our bodies aren't working the way that they were meant to. And so there are times where we see like a child is a gift from the Lord and a gift by nature is not something that's like owed to anyone. It's not a given. Um, it's not something that should be taken for granted. And so um, I personally think, yeah, infertility and miscarriages, by the way, are actually listed in Exodus and Deuteronomy in the same category as sickness and afflictions, which are part of the result of the, the broken world we live in because of the fall. So what that means, uh, infertility and miscarriages are not part of God's good design, and therefore we should be praying for those who want to have children but struggle to struggle with infertility and miscarriages, just as we pray for the sick. So okay. uh, I think that's the answer. But let me pray for you as well. Heavenly Father, we pray for Allie. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would be near to her during this time. Um, Lord, we pray that you would remove just whatever is preventing her from becoming pregnant. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would be using this time to shape her as well. Lord, we know that there's no guarantees and that you know all things and that you love us the most. And so, Lord, we just commend her into your hands and say your will be done in her life. Uh, we pray for others out there listening who are struggling with these same things themselves. But Lord, just as we pray for those who are sick and struggling, Lord, we right now pray for those who are struggling with infertility and miscarriages. And Lord, we pray that there would be healing in that area, Lord, that you would bring about um, full-term pregnancies for those who want to have children and want to raise their children in your ways. And so we pray that, Lord, for Allie and for others listening as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for calling in. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. This is Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. With that, we've got two open lines. It's a great time to call in if you have a question about the Bible or what the Bible says about a particular situation in life or in the world. And we would love to hear your prayer requests and pray for those on the air as well. So the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Hannah in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the program. Oh, Hannah uh, might have dropped as well. So Hannah says here that she had a terrible day at work. Uh, she's a supervisor at a at a business where she works, and she needs prayer to get through the day. And yeah, I see a note here that she was very busy, and uh, even when she called in. And so uh, Hannah, hopefully you can hear this, but if not, the Lord will hear our prayer. So those listening, please join me in praying for Hannah and her work day. Heavenly Father, we pray for Hannah, and just it sounds like a terrible struggle at work today. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would sustain her by your grace. Lord, just as you sustain our lives every day, Lord, I pray that you'd sustain her in this moment. Give her the strength to get on with what's right in front of her and to make it through the end of this day. And Lord, I pray that even in the midst of this struggle, she wouldn't just survive this struggle, but Lord, that she would thrive in this. Lord, and that you would use this in her life for your purposes, uh, both your purpose is what you want to accomplish in her, but even, Lord, what you might want to accomplish through her. And so, Lord, we pray for Hannah. Strengthen her, Lord. Be the lifter of her head that raises her countenance. And, Lord, we pray that she would uh, walk through this day 
in faith and in the strength of your victory and your spirit inside of her. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hannah, we're praying for you and uh, hoping that your day gets better and that you make it through by God's grace. Hey, we're coming right up on our mid-show break, so now would be a perfect time for you to call in or to text us with your questions about the Bible or your prayer requests. We can get to your questions right after the break. Our two-minute mid-show break is coming right up, so give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720 336 0897. Once again, the text line is 720-336-0897. After the break, we will get to a text message from Michael uh, in Longmont, Colorado, and then hopefully we'll get to some of your calls. Again, 303-690-3000. We'll be right back in two minutes' time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Give us a call with your questions about the Bible. Give us a call with your prayer requests. We'd love to pray for you and answer your questions on the air. So again, 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Lucy in Colorado Springs. Hi, Lucy. Welcome to the program. Yes. Hi, Pastor. I just want to tell you guys, thank you very much. I've been blessed through you. I listen to you guys on my way back and forth to work. I, I own a small business in Colorado Springs, and um, I want you please to pray for my business, that God will use it for his glory. I pray every day, and I say, Lord, this is yours. You do with it as you please. And um, I am a bold person. I let everybody around me, customers, people that work with me know that I am Christian, my heart is with the Lord, and uh, you know I pray for them, and uh, I just want God to be glorified in my business, and I want God to send me people that can work with me that are godly people as well. Okay, yeah, those are great, great requests. So let's pray for that together, and I just encourage everybody listening, join with me in praying for Lucy and her business. So. Heavenly Father, thank you for Lucy. Thank you, Lord, that she knows you and walks with you. Thank you, Lord, that she's seeking to be a witness of your glory and grace through her business and in her life. Lord, we do pray for her business that it would bring much glory to you. Lord, that as it generates income, it would be a blessing to her community. That it would be a blessing to those who work for her and those who purchase things from her. Lord, we pray that it would also be a forum for her to get to meet people and to share her faith and shine your light in their lives. Lord, we also want to pray for her that you would provide her with good, godly employees, people who will work well with her, not take advantage of her. And Lord, we pray that you would direct those people to her business. Uh, Lord, 
those divine appointments. We pray that they would happen and take place so that she could find the right people for her business. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. May God bless you and bless all people that are doing their show on this, the radio because you guys are being a big blessing to me. Oh, that, that means a lot, Lucy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air, answering your questions about the Bible and praying for your prayer requests. So the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Daniel in Greeley, Colorado. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. It's so nice to talk to you. Great to hear from uh, you. I have a question what, what can up, we do? Uh, sorry, I have a question about the Mormons. So, I mean, I, I'm a youth leader at my church, and I know about God. And, I mean, I have known Christianity my whole life. But, late, I mean, the last three days, I, I made a—I mean, not, not friends, but they've been talking to me that about Mormonism. Mm-hmm. And I wonder— I mean, what's what's going on with that religion? Because, I mean, it sounds the same as Christianity, and they mm-hmm. call themselves Christians. And I, I, like I was telling the, the person before you, that I know that uh, the, the word Christianity Christianity means uh, a born again Christian. But why does it sound the same, their religion or their cult as uh, the Christianity? Yeah, so I'll just give you a simple answer, and if if we want, I could go a little bit deeper. But um, the simple answer is this: like the the Mormon faith or Mormon religion was uh, something that came about through one man and his misinterpretation of the Bible. But here's what happened: it wasn't just a misinterpretation of the Bible; it was a lot of other things that he taught that are not found in the Bible, and. Uh, the most important thing, though, right? So w- when you're coming to a, any group or even, you know, whether it's people who claim to be Christians, it always comes down to two questions. There are two questions which essentially separate Christianity from every other religion in the world. And they tell you the difference between true Christianity and cults or sects or like people who believe things that are not Christian. Not Christian, right? Not true. Not biblical. Okay, here's the two questions. Who is Jesus? And number two, how are you saved? Those two questions are what everything hinges on when it comes to different religions and stuff like that, right? So here's the deal with Mormonism. They talk about the Bible. They talk about Jesus. They use a lot of the same terminology, but the Jesus they believe in is a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. And let me explain what I mean by that. Again, who is Jesus? That's the first question. Go to read the first chapter of the book of Colossians. It just lays out for you who is Jesus, right? So Jesus is, and you could go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, for example. Who is Jesus? Okay, so Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. Now, the, the Jesus of the Mormons, they would say, yeah, Jesus is divine, but he is not uh, God in the same way that the Father is God. So this is, gets into an idea of the Trinity, right? Is Jesus truly very God of very God, 
right? As it says in the creed. And so uh, we, we believe that he is for many reasons, right? Jesus is attributed with doing the things that only God can do, like creation. It says in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then it says in the Gospel of John, in the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so Jesus is God in the same way that the Father is God. He's not a created being. He is the creator. Now, that's super important. The other part is this. How does Jesus save you? How are you saved? So the Mormon religion would say that you are saved by doing good works. And Jesus was an example for you of how to be a good person and do good things. And he said some, some wise sayings. But understand that Christianity of the Bible says that you cannot save yourself no matter how much you ever do. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way we can be saved is through the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. In other words, it's not we who save ourselves by anything we do. All we do is receive by faith the salvation that God graciously provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so on those two things alone, we can say that the Mormon religion is not Christian, even though they talk about Jesus and even though they might have very good family values and morals. I don't, I don't doubt that they have very good family values and morals. In some ways, I think, you know, they're, they're extremely moral group of people. And they, but here's the thing, nobody can be saved by being a good person. That's really the message of the Bible, not just in the New Testament, but throughout the, throughout the Bible. So then they help, the Mormons also have a couple other uh, very out there teachings. One of them is that they say, basically they have this book called the Book of Mormon. And the Book of Mormon claims to be another, you know, testament of the Bible. And it purports to tell the story of the lost tribe of Israel who uh, built, rebuilt Noah's Ark. And they sailed Noah's Ark. They took that boat through the Mediterranean Sea, out the Strait of Gibraltar, across the Atlantic Ocean, and landed in modern day uh, United States, right? What's now the United States. They landed there and they rode this boat that was modeled after Noah's Ark all the way across the Atlantic. And those people became the Native Americans. And that since the Native Americans are Jewish, which by the way, we know for sure that they are not, right? By, based on um, you know evidence from uh, DNA tests and things like that. Uh, we know that the Native Americans came from Asia, not from uh, Israel. And so they said that, well, since Jesus came to preach to the lost children of, the, of, of Israel, then uh, he preached to the Native Americans, Jesus came to America, etc. That's what the Book of Mormon is all about. So um, we, we don't believe that any of that's true. There's no reason to believe it's true. It actually contradicts um, all of our you know, DNA studies and all that. So, but the key issue is who is Jesus and how are you saved? All right. I mean that that makes sense because uh, I mean I well, I don't want to say like that but uh, I know that I was right I mean I know that the Bible is right and when I mean when she sent me like a, a video today about a Baptist uh, pastor from a Baptist church he was a pastor for years and he even went to college for a Baptist uh, college. Mm -hmm. And she sent me this video saying that he, I mean, he, the video says 
uh, or the, the pastor is talking and saying that uh, he became a Mormon because it's true and because uh, he's been a Christian his whole life, and it makes sense now that he's a Mormon. Before he was a Mormon, it didn't make sense at all. So I'm like, I mean, I was thinking, and I was like, maybe he was not a Christian. In real, I mean, yeah. to be honest, he was not a real Christian, right? Yeah, so actually, I mean, I, I hate to go around purporting and trying to claim who's a Christian, who's not a Christian. That's not really my job. But I will say that, uh, yeah, I would tend to agree with you in this case, that uh, someone who leaves the faith like that, I would actually base it on uh, Hebrews chapter 10. You know, as someone who has, he's in Hebrews chapter six also, he's someone who's tasted the the goodness of God and the, the fruit of the spirit and then has turned away. I would say that person was never actually a Christian. Right. And I'm sorry, I don't want to judge or anything. I mean, that's not my job, but uh, that's what the Bible says. So that's that's why I, I said that. But, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, because, uh, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, she was just trying, I mean, I don't know how they're really good at tricking your your mind and everything yeah so, uh, <laughs> well, well daniel i i need to let you go but i'll just tell you this there's a lot and i'll give you one good online resource to check out and it's called alwaysbeready.com so alwaysbeready.com and they have a, an article there on mormonism with lots of lots of information that you could research and equip yourself um, but, you know, what they're doing is giving you some anecdotal evidence, right? Here's a guy, and you if you want to be smart like this guy, then you should become a Mormon too. And that, that's not a good reason to do anything, right? So uh, we want to base our beliefs on the scriptures, and uh, we want to do good theology, not just like, hey, this guy was a Baptist pastor, and now he's a Mormon, and therefore you should be too. That's just not even a good argument. So, um, Yeah, well, thank well, you so much. Uh, God, was, God bless uh, you as help. you— yeah, God bless you as you talk to those people, and, and may you you know be used by God in their lives as well. All right, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Let's go to our next caller, Dottie in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Hi, Dottie. Welcome to the program. Dottie. Okay, let's go to our next caller. We've got Ethan in Wiggins, Colorado. Hi, Ethan. Welcome to the program. Hello. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. What can we do for you? Um, so I have a friend, um, and she uh she is not a Christian and um he said if Jesus uh died on the cross, did he really actually die? Mm. Because he came back three days later. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what to say to him. I mean <laughs> I was seeing if you guys knew anything. Yeah, no, I can give you a good answer for your friend there. So the answer is is this. Um, we know for sure that Jesus died on the cross for a couple reasons. And maybe the most important reason is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. And the reason it's important that it's in the Gospel of John is because John is the only one of Jesus' disciples who was there and watched Jesus get crucified. All the other ones ran away and fled. And it was only John and a few of the ladies who followed Jesus who had the courage to go to the cross and watch at the foot of the cross. And John tells us that as he was standing there at the foot of the cross watching Jesus, probably with a small crowd, watching Jesus be crucified, 
it says that he watched as the soldiers, what they would do is they needed to make sure that the people who were being crucified, that they actually died. And so he says that they took a spear and they stabbed Jesus in the heart under his ribs and that he saw blood and water come out. And that indication of blood and water, it means that uh, his heart was no longer pumping, that the blood came out in that way. Uh, Jesus' heart had stopped. He was no longer doing that. And plus, then he got stabbed in the heart and the blood came out. And so if that's the case, then we know for sure that Jesus died. The other reason why we can be sure that Jesus died is because these people who crucified him, they were professional executioners. This is their job, is to kill people by hanging them on a cross and making sure that they're dead. And they wouldn't take somebody down from the cross unless they had died. So that's another reason. Uh, one further reason I'll give you is that nobody in the, like 2,000 years ago when this happened, nobody who read about this would have assumed that Jesus had actually survived because they knew what crucifixion was like. They had seen it, you know? And um, it's not something that anybody would survive. And it's definitely not something which like three days later, having been locked up in a cave, you know, without any food or water. I mean, that's another part of this. No food and water for three days in a, in a cave tomb. After having gone through crucifixion, really nobody, um, nobody who studies these things would believe that Jesus somehow survived that and then just moved that giant stone and walked out of the tomb. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Thank, thank you for you. calling in. And, and that's awesome that you're talking to your friends about the Bible. Keep that up. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We've got all open lines. So now's a great time to call in. As we wait for those calls to come in, we're going to go over to our text line and answer some of the text messages that have come in. So the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, 720-336-0897. Let's go over to our text line. We've got a text from Michael in Longmont. He says, uh, my question is, how come the two witnesses' bodies can't be touched? So this is a reference to, um, and I had it up here just a second ago, this is a reference to Revelation chapter 11. So in Revelation chapter 11, we read about how during the time of the tribulation, there will be two witnesses who come and they witness to God and um, many people believe that these people are, either they come in the spirit of Moses and Elijah, or they are, in fact, Moses and Elijah come back to earth. And, um, and there's a few reasons for that. The things that they're describing, uh, the ways that they're described are as doing things that Moses and Elijah did in the Old Testament. So we read that during the time of tribulation, which is a great time of struggle and um, time when God's judgment is being poured out on the earth. This is uh, Revelation chapter 11. That during that time, which is in the future, there will come two people and they will be like prophets. In fact, 
it even says that they are prophets in verse 10 of chapter 11. And so the, these two people will come as prophets and they will prophesy for 1,260 days in, and then they will be killed in Jerusalem and their bodies will be left to lay in Jerusalem for three and a half days. And then it says the breath of life, uh, breath of life from God will enter them. They will stand to their feet and great fear will fall on those who saw them. So the question is, um, why are those two witnesses? Why is it that their bodies aren't touched for three and a half days? Why, why is it that the whole world watches them and then they're just laid, they just lay there and nobody touches them? Are they guarded by angels? And um, that's the question. Yeah, good question. I don't think we know for sure, right? We can we can surmise or try to kind of put the pieces together and um, speculate on it a little bit, which is fine. So let's do that. Um, okay, two witnesses, their bodies can't be touched. What's really interesting is that in times gone by, you know, like let's say before the advent of, you know, television broadcasting, people who read this were like, how is it going to be possible that the whole world will see the bodies of two people who have died and are, their bodies are lying on a street in Jerusalem. Now, what's so interesting is we've come up to the point of, you know, internet and sat, first it was satellite TV, then we had internet, right? And it's like anybody in the world is going to be able to look at their phone and see the bodies of these two prophets lying in Jerusalem, no matter where they are in the world, which is a cool way that we can see how the book of Revelation in times gone by, people were like, how could this possibly be true? And now we're like, oh, that's totally possible. Um, so the other part of this is, why aren't their bodies touched? Well, one one explanation could be that this takes place during a, a kind of a wartime situation. Uh, some of you may have been watching the news lately. You've seen the things that are going on in Ukraine and how bodies will lie in the street sometimes, sadly. And unfortunately, they'll lie in the street for several days and people take video of them. People will see them. And why would they not touch these bodies? Well, let's just say also in Jerusalem, the holy city, right? The The idea of moving body, touching dead bodies is not something that uh, religious Jewish people are willing to do because it makes you unclean. And so it could also be that this is seen as, you know, did they, is it, are they left there for this very purpose, like right? to bring shame upon them? by nobody touching their bodies. Another reason might simply be because we have the scriptures here and people will know that these are the prophets and not to touch their bodies. Or it could be that they're guarded by angels. I don't know, but um, it will be interesting to see how that all plays out. So yeah, Michael, thank you for your question and keep reading the Bible and asking questions. God bless you. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, Pastor Nick Cady here from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, uh, taking your calls and texts, the number to call 303 690 or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's uh, continue through our text messages. This one says, Mark from Windsor, Colorado, if Revelation is about the future, why would there be so many references to Babylon, a city that's been ruined for thousands of years? What is Babylon supposed to represent? Hey, Mark, that's a great question. Uh, I do absolutely believe that um, the... I'm just looking something up real quick. Okay, yeah. So I absolutely do believe that uh, Revelation speaks about the future. There's actually three main views on Revelation, just so you know. There's a view called the preterist view, 
which says that Revelation is actually not a prophecy. It's actually just a writing down in fantastic language of things that have already taken place. Now, some people, there's a one view on preterism, which would say, well, therefore, Revelation was actually written prior to the fall of Jerusalem, and it's describing kind of in fantastical language the things that happened with the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Um, now, we don't believe that's true for any by any means because we know that the book of Revelation has historically been dated to about 90 AD, which means about 20 years after the fall of Jerusalem. And therefore, what he's writing, it says in chapter 1 that this is a prophecy, right? So that's really important. It means it's talking about future events. It says that in Revelation 1 verse 19. So it's not just looking back at what happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD. It's actually looking forward to the future. The other view on Revelation is what's called the idealist view, which says that Revelation isn't meant to be taken as the things it talks about referring to things in the future, but rather just, uh, you know, it's just a, a way of thinking that here's a fantastical story. And what the story says is that in the end, God wins. And that's all you should take away from it. Um, and the, the third view, which is the view I hold, is what's called the futurist view, which says no, actually, the book itself says that it's talking about events that have not taken place and are going to take place in the future. And so uh, I think personally, I think that's the, the best view to take. Um, and the futurist view, and so you're asking, why does it talk about Babylon? Well, there's a great reason for that. Babylon is a figurative allusion to the great powers of the world, right? And so there have been many iterations of Babylon, if you will. Um, an iteration of Babylon was ancient Rome. And actually, Rome is referred to as Babylon in, uh, where is it? Is it First Peter, where he refers to um, ba uh, Babylon as, uh, or he refers to Rome as Babylon. I believe it's First Peter. And so there, there's an example, like Babylon uh, had been destroyed by then. But people looked back at Babylon and said it was a wicked kingdom established against God. And um, and so, you know, Rome is the new iteration. So it's kind of like this idea of the world system that is aligned against God is, you know, represented using the word Babylon. And so, you know, just as Rome was an iteration of Babylon, many people would surmise that, you know, our world system of today is you know, the new Babylon, Babylon the Great, right? So whether that's represented by, um, you know, whatever city we're talking about, I think it can actually be represented by multiple cities at the same time. It represents uh, the great powers of this world who hold to, you know, uh, an alignment against God. Because you remember that Babylon's first mention in the Bible was that it was a place of rebellion against God, right? Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. And so, yeah, I hope that answers that for you. Remember that a lot of things in Revelation are, um, they are illusionary in nature, meaning that they're not meant to be taken literally, but they, they are pictures pointing to something. So I uh, hope that answers that question for you. And um, yeah, thanks for texting in and keep reading that Bible. God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church taking your calls and texts live on the air. We've reached the end of our show. We do have time for one more text message. Uh, someone asked, what is the purpose of lifting our hands in worship? 
A great question. Yeah, so the, the purpose of it is that the Jewish posture of prayer in the Bible was the raising of hands. And you see this many times, actually, in the Old Testament. Uh, one example is in Exodus chapter 18, where Moses is praying, and the battle's taking place in the valley. Joshua's leading the troops of Israel. And, um, and Moses is up on the hill, and he has to keep his hands raised because raising hands is the posture of prayer uh, in the Jewish culture. That doesn't mean that you have to do that in order to pray, just as the Bible doesn't tell us that you have to fold your hands and bow your head either, right? That's the posture of prayer. And uh, what's interesting, the Jewish posture of prayer was generally raising your eyes up towards heaven, whereas we in the West tend to uh, bow our heads to the ground. And the idea, you even read it in the Bible, Jesus raised his eyes up to heaven and spoke to God, right? That's the Jewish posture of prayer. On the one hand, I would say, it also communicates something, right? It communicates kind of like a child lifting their hands saying, daddy, pick me up. Or it also is a position of surrender. Think about it. When you surrender, you put your hands in the air and you say, I am surrendered to you. Uh, you know, I am at your mercy. And so those are the things that are communicated as we worship with our hands raised. But great question. And I love the fact that you're asking a question about a practice, making sure that, like, why are we doing this? Not just following along, but asking the question. Wonderful thing to do. And uh, I would encourage all of you, keep reading your Bibles, keep asking those questions. And as we seek the Lord, he's going to lead us into all truth by his Holy Spirit. That's his promise to us. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. We reached the end of our show. My name is Nick Cady, pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'd love to have you worship with us this Sunday for service times and directions. Uh, you can check out our website, whitefieldschurch.com. So that's whitefieldschurch.com. I'll be with you again next Friday. God bless you and have a great weekend. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.